for Kids Zone and the work they do. I got it today, Kent. Thank you, sir. Uh, the work they do with our kids, uh, faithfully teaching God's Word week in, week out, giving them a great foundation. Uh, we also have a date up on the screen um, that is going to be up there in just a second. And what date is that? What's coming up on November 8th? That's right, we have an election. Uh, and as we, as we just sang... We're living for heaven, but we still live on earth, and voting is a very small part of what it means or how we are the salt of the earth. So please do your research, and please vote on November 8th. That's all I'm going to say about that. We're doing a series in Matthew chapter 5 called Different, and so if you'd like to open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 5, that'd be great. Matthew chapter 5. And before we jump in, I'd like to pray. Lord, I pray that you would stand in front of me while I'm in front of them. I pray that you would talk over me while I talk to them. Lord, shine the light of your word into each of our hearts, and let us live as light in this dark world. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We need to start out where we left off last week. So, Melissa, if you could turn all the lights off, that'd be great. Go ahead and turn all the lights off, even the stage lights. Where we left off last week was in Matthew chapter 4, where Jesus talked about how, or it was prophesied about Jesus, that he was the light that shone on people who live in deep darkness. People that live in darkness that is a lot like death. Jesus was light to them. And then Jesus says something that People probably to this day still really struggle to believe. Or we just read past it so fast we don't even see it anymore. But Jesus said to those Palestinian peasants who were gathered listening to him, people that were broken and hurting, some of them he just healed, all of them were curious. Here is Jesus standing there talking to them, and he says to them, You are the light of the world. You. Why don't you say, me. Go ahead. Me. I am the light of the world. Say that with me. I am the light of the world. That is a lot of responsibility. That is a lot of responsibility. That is a lot of trust that Jesus has for us. He tells us, you are the light of the world. Now, what, is it, how, what does that mean? Well, part of what it means is that you will be different from the world. In the same way that Jesus was different from the world, as different as light is from dark, you will be different from the world 
as different as light is from dark. So the question is, how? How do we do this? And that's where we need to have the light turned back on, because we will jump back into the scriptures, to this week's scripture. So Matthew chapter 5, Jesus has just finished telling them that they are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And then he says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. Now, why would Jesus have to say, don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets? Well, probably because he was really, really different than the people who taught them the law and the prophets. And they wondered, because Jesus was so different from their teachers, if he came to overturn everything and was going to throw the whole thing out. So just the reason Jesus has to say this is because he was so different. And because he was telling his disciples to be so incredibly different. So let's talk about what this means. So here we are. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. In fact, in this very Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells us how to keep the entire law and all of the prophets. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. Do you remember what that is? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. This is the law and the prophets. This kind of sums every, up everything. So if you can't remember, remember that. So Jesus says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So what, what does that mean? What does it mean for Jesus when he says, I've not come to start over, to abolish them, to throw it all out, but I have come to fulfill them. What, what does that mean? Well, here's, here's how I, this is the best I can do. Think of sheet music. And I'm not going to move it too much, but you think of like the sheet music Ruth was just using up here. Think of that like the Old Testament. Like, is there. And then think of Jesus coming and actually performing it. Jesus comes to people who had only ever seen sheet music. They'd seen lots of sheet music, but they'd only ever seen sheet music. They'd studied it, but they'd never actually played it. And here is Jesus actually performing the sheet music. It is like, whoa, that's what that meant. All that time we'd seen the notes on paper, we'd never actually seen it happen. And Jesus made it all happen. He fulfilled it. Think of it like blueprints for a building. He'd spent, the, the people of Israel had spent generation after generation after generation studying the blueprints. And Jesus shows up and builds the building. <laughs> and they're like, oh, so that's what all that pointed towards. Now, do you throw out the blueprints after you build the building? No, the blueprints are still valuable. So think different like fulfilled, not different like starting over. Different like performing the sheet music, then the sheet music, but but not starting over. Different like actually building the building than just studying the blueprints. Different like a sketch. So sometimes when you're going to do an oil painting, you do a sketch first, and then you do the oil painting. The sketch is a picture of what is to come. The Old Testament is like the sketch. Jesus is like the oil painting with all the colors and the detail and the texture filled in. 
The best illustration I can come up, up, come up with is like the Old Testament is like God's bio. A lot of important stuff in a bio. Jesus is the in-person meeting. The in-person meeting is not throwing out the bio. It's not saying the bio is unimportant or unnecessary. We never have to look at that again. But it's different. It's fulfilled. Jesus is really, really different from the scribes and the Pharisees. And people are wondering, is he trying to throw out the whole thing? Jesus says, no, I did not come to abolish it any more than a building abolishes blueprints, any more than perform music abolishes sheet music, any more than the oil painting abolishes the sketch, any more than the in-person meeting abolishes the bio, but I came to fulfill it. I came so it would all come true in me. So you'd understand it and see it in a brand new way, in new light. Jesus said, I have not come to abolish them, but fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. Jesus is what the law and prophets always meant. Okay, so when you read page after page of food laws, Moses wrote page after page of food laws. Moses then sees Jesus walking among his people and says, oh, so that's what it means to be set apart. That's what all those food laws always meant. In the Old Testament, you, you read page after page of Sabbath law, and you look at Jesus and think, oh, that's what it means to rest. You read page after page of this is how to sacrifice and stipulations and the type of animal and where and when and how and all these and it all comes true, and you see it all happen and all come together, of course, on the cross. Oh, that's what it all always meant. It all comes together in Jesus. Or think of the story of the Exodus, of this is God saving his people from their captors. Well, it all came true. Oh, that's what it means. It's Jesus saving his people from their sins. Think of the stories of the kings, and you look at the ideal king, and what should a king be like, and who should be king, and how do they relate to David, and all this. And then you see Jesus, oh, all those other kings pointed to the king of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus himself, who came to die for and save and rule his people. Think of the story of the exile, when the people choose sin and choose sin and choose idolatry and choose to ignore God and ignore God and ignore God. And so he sends them in the exile and then he brings them back to the land and restores them. And the people look at Jesus and go, oh, oh, that's what it means. That's what restoration means. Jesus is how, the, how we understand the whole Old Testament. Think of Isaiah's suffering servant. Isaiah then sees Jesus and says, oh, that's what I was writing about. That, of course, that's what I was writing about all along. He sees Jeremiah's new heart. Jeremiah sees Jeremiah's new heart in Jesus and goes, oh, 
That's what I was writing about all along. Ezekiel sees his river of life that brings healing and goes, oh, that's what that always meant. The whole thing comes together in Jesus, not like starting over, but like fulfilling. So Jesus was different Fulfilling different, not starting over different. And so he tells us, you're going to be different. Fulfilling different, not starting over different. This is why he says, therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Well, which commandments are those? Boy, you know, because you could read it either way. You could read it like the Old Testament commandments, or you could read it like Jesus' commandments. Well, I mean, which one would it be? Well, here's the thing. Jesus has just said, the Old Testament's not passing away. Why is the Old Testament not passing away? Because it is tied to and comes out of the character of God himself. So will God's character pass away? Of course God's character won't pass away. Jesus is God's character embodied as a man, showing up. So his commandments are going to be in perfect keeping with the Old Testament. So which one are we talking about? Well, you don't have to pick. Jesus told us how to keep the Old Testament. This is why, just we're kind of jumping ahead here, but if you have your Bible open to Matthew chapter 5, this is why you see in chapter 5 verse 21, you have heard that it was said to those of old, and then he explains how to keep the law. And then verse 27, you have heard that it was said. And then verse 31, it was also said. And then verse 33, again, you have heard it said to those of old. And then verse 38, you have heard that it was said. And then in verse 43, you have heard that it was said. And Jesus kind of re helps them re-understand how to keep the scriptures. So, Jesus says, you're going to be different because you are not going to relax the commandments of God because the commandments of God are in perfect keeping with God's character. But whoever does them, okay, that's going to be a huge emphasis in Matthew chapter 7. Actually doing what Jesus said. Not just giving mental assent to it, but actually doing what Jesus said. Whoever does them, that word in the Greek will show up again and again and again and again in the later parts of Matthew chapter 7. Whoever does them and teaches them, teaches there is the same word that's used in Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, even until the end of the age, that part of the Great Commission. Whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, okay, let's stop before we finish that. And by the way, how does that end? And unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, what does he say then? You'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. But let's remember who the scribes and the Pharisees were. Of course, the scribes are the people that copied the law all day long. They knew the law. Really, they knew the law. Like, they made copies of it by hand all day long, every day. These are the people that knew their Bible really, really well. The Pharisees were the people that tried to, like the popular people that... Um, by popular, I mean like they had the ear of the people, like the people looked to them and respected them. 
respected their interpretation of the law and how they tried to keep the law. So Jesus says, unless you're way, way, way better at keeping the law than them, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Are you okay with that? Let me tell you, you're going to get less okay with that in just a second. Because these boys knew the law. So, Leon Morris writes, they examined it, the law. Like, like, I don't know how many of us have actually read all the way through Leviticus and Numbers. I bet, I bet you know, half of us, two-thirds of us have read all the way through Leviticus and Numbers. Like, these boys, they examined, like, made copies, like, numbered. They examined the law with minute thoroughness. They discovered, for example, that there were 613 commandments, Genesis to Deuteronomy. 613 commandments in this part of scripture, like I say, Genesis to Deuteronomy, 248 positive and 365 negative. They cared about their Bible. I mean, they cared about their Bible and they they knew their Bible. And Jesus says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. I'm not sure how many of us could list all Ten Commandments. These guys knew there were 284 positive and 365 negative commandments, and Jesus says, yeah, they're falling way short. For I tell you, unless your righteousness, righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Because you're going to be different from the scribes and the Pharisees. You'll be different from them. You'll be like a light to them. So, so what can that mean? How do we do that? Well, here's, here's where I would start. The first one is, you turn from self-rightness with God. So, so that, that's, of course, righteousness. So turn from your self-righteousness. This, was, this is, I think, Jesus' biggest critique of the scribes and the Pharisees, that they were self-righteous, that they thought of themselves as really better than other people, really like they were getting it right and everyone else was getting it wrong. And as, and as you read the seven woes to the scribes and the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 23, or as you read through the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, what you see is Jesus' critique of their self-righteousness is that they were all for the letter of the law, but weren't so great at keeping the spirit or the heart of the law. It's kind of like when you tell your kids, stop hitting each other. You ever have to tell your kids to stop hitting each other? Am I the only one? Like, you've done that, right? Stop hitting each other! So then what do they do? Well, then they start kicking each other. And you're like, for the love! I just told you to stop hitting each other! And they say, Dad, we weren't. We were kicking each other. Okay, we need another rule, right? Jesus 
comes back to, I think, again and again, that's what the scribes and the Pharisees were doing. But you have to be a little bit sympathetic, and you have to say, if you have the mindset of, I have to keep the law in my own strength, by my own willpower, you have to start doing workarounds like that. It's the only way. This is why when the, when the lawyer comes to Jesus and says, you know, what do I have to do to be saved? And Jesus says, you know, what do I have to do to go to heaven? And Jesus says, well, you know, what's in the law? And, and he tells him, and Jesus says, yeah, do that and you will live. And the guy says, then who is my neighbor? You got to start trying to get categories. You got to start trying to dumb it down. You got to start trying to get it specific, specific enough that you can keep it. Because it's, it's hard to keep. The other thing, the other critique Jesus had of the scribes and the Pharisees were that they were really, really, really into image management. So Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, Be careful that you do not do your works of righteousness before men to be seen by them. Because if you do, you'll have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Really, they're into image management and impress other people with how good they were. You can't relate to either of those. Can you? Like, trying to just, like, well, I think I can get away with this, so I'll do this. I don't think this is technically disobeying God's word, so I guess I'll technically only do this. You don't do that, do you? Just obey the letter of the law rather than the spirit of the law? Just try to do things in your own strength, with your own self-righteousness, rather than giving God your whole heart? You don't just try to manage your image, do you? You know, just like you're different, kind of a different per person when other people are watching. You know, you, you hear the phrase, I hear it sometimes, I don't remember, is this on a song or what, like, be the person your dog thinks you are. Well, what if you were the person that your Facebook profile said you were? You know, like, we try to manage our images so carefully. And Jesus says, that is not going to cut it. That is not going to cut it. So what do we do? Well, remember the key verse to the Sermon on the Mount is in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, where it says, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We turn from our manufactured, self-generated self-righteousness towards his righteousness. Because, guys, if, if the Pharisees and the scribes, if their righteousness wasn't good enough, what hope do you and I have to do this in our own strength? What hope do we have so instead of trying to manufacture our own right with Godness, we're going to turn to Christ and hunger and thirst after his righteousness, after his right with Godness. What you have to do is kind of step back. You look at the Sermon on the Mount, and it's very prescriptive. It's very much like, do these things. But I'm just so thankful that the book didn't end in Matthew chapter 7. 
You know why? Because I'm glad that Jesus died for our sins. If all we had was Matthew chapter 5 through 7, we'd have something awesome. But we'd be left damned in our sin. Jesus died for our sins so that we could have righteousness that is not our own. That we could look up and ask for the forgiveness of our sins, and he would look down and forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness and give to us his righteousness, alien righteousness, righteousness that is not coming from us, righteousness that is his. He gives it to us. And then we follow him. And then we, of course, learn to obey everything that he taught. So this is not an excuse to sin. This is not license. This is saying you can't do it by yourself. So look up and ask him for forgiveness and ask him for help and he will help you by the power of his spirit. So if there's one thing I want you to do, it's to stop being good. And start following Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. By stop being good, I mean stop trying to do this in your own strength. Being good is a moving target, depending on what the culture tells you is good. In the whatever breeze the culture is blowing. Following Jesus is like this constant shining light in the direction that you walk towards Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus makes us a promise in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. He says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. That's his promise. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. You can. You can be satisfied. Seek him. Jesus was different. And so he calls us as his disciples to be different. We're different when we repent of the self-righteousness of the Pharisees. And I just want you to know that that self-generated righteousness, that hypocrisy is not dead. That spirit of Pharisees is alive and well in the world today. Do as I say, not as I do, is still alive and well and flourishing. Repent of that. Turn from that. And turn towards Christ and follow him in the power of his spirit. Obey this teaching in the power of the spirit and stay on mission. And so we see in verse 19, therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them, so please do them, and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So if you're going to follow Jesus and be different as he is different, then you will stay on mission and make disciples of the Christ. 
Like, how are you going to say that you're a follower of Jesus and a disciple of Jesus and not make disciples? If you look at Jesus' life, what we see is him spending his life, his earthly ministry, investing in people. We see him making disciple after disciple with his investing in this small group of people. How are we going to say we're his disciples and not be on mission? And teaching others to do the same. This is like the same idea what Jesus said. Go therefore into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you to the end of the age. I will be with you in this and I will help you in this. But look, what this can't mean, what this absolutely cannot mean, is leave people the same as you stay the same. It has to mean change people's lives for good by the power of the Spirit as you teach them what he's taught you. It has to mean be a positive force for good in the world, Jesus' good in the world. You are different because he is different. After all, isn't this what you want? Like, don't you want to make a difference in the world? As just like a lighthouse made a difference to ships before they had GPS. Don't you want to make a difference in the world? Don't you want to give a target? In order to make a difference, you must be different. We are different because our righteousness is not human-made righteousness. Our righteousness comes from God. We are different because we trust him and we live out what he says and we stay on his mission. So, follow Jesus. And as you follow Jesus, you will be Jesus different. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this word and I thank you for the way you do your work in us. Lord, I ask that you'd pull us towards yourself this week. In Jesus' name, amen.